a very highly challenging group. And that's what your drill leaders are paid so richly to do. Um, their, their job is to challenge you to work out this stuff. And if there's not actual confession and repentance going and people are getting very honest, they have our blessing and authorization to make some noise and to stir things up so that people start getting honest and we can actually start meeting with the Lord and let him do work. You need to walk in the door to your drill groups ready to go. I've done my homework. I know where God has his finger in my life, and I'm ready to start talking with somebody and get ministered to. Does that make sense? I know that they are, I know that it's challenging for people. I know that a lot of us have not been in a group like that before. We're used to high invitation, very encouraging sort of environments. But <clears throat> Those things don't lead to nearly the kind of growth that a more challenging group will lead to. So that's what I want for you. We understand that the doorway into salvation is an R word. What is it? Repentance. Do we love repentance? Do we think that, it, that God is mean and mad when he calls us to repent? No, we think he's a loving father that's giving us an opportunity to jump out of a train track where death is coming headlong for us. We live in a time, and even in a nation, where there is no recognition of authority, and where um, no one understands what authority means, um, where we think that the greatest gift God could give us would be to remove Everybody from out from above us who wants to tell us what to do. And that exists inside the church, too. Um, there's so many weird national strongholds that exist inside the church. And rebellion is one of them. And one of the names uh, that Satan has in, in 1 Thessalonians is, um, is that he's a spirit of lawlessness. The spirit of lawlessness is one that doesn't want to obey anybody's law. I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. And the kingdom of God brings order where there is anarchy. And the kingdom of God is not one of anarchy. It is one of order and authority. The difference between God's authority and man's authority is that if you submit yourself 100% fully to God's authority, it always turns out better for you. Because he is an authoritarian that is the best kind of king. He has the wherewithal to run every part of your life. And if you'll let him run, and I mean like a dictator, run every part of your life, things will go better for you. You would say at the end of the day, I'm so glad I let him dictate the terms of my life. Because the boundary lines, as David said, have fallen for me in pleasant places. It's gone better for me to let him dictate my life than it was for me to call the shots. Very unique thing, but I just want you to understand that you live in a time and in a nation of rebellion. We could even say that America was founded upon the tenets of rebellion. No one will tell us what to do. We will, we will rule ourselves. Democracy. The kingdom of God, as you, as you know, is not a democracy. Now, where we put our heads together and decide, what do we think is best? All right, that's what we'll, we'll do. Well, 
that's what America does, and you can see what happens culturally to us. It's not democracy. Um, it's a monarchy run by a king and a good father. The best kind of government there is. All right, that's enough. <clears throat> Let's get into it. The, the, uh, okay, this is, I just want to remind you, or to teach you for the first time, uh, well, remind everybody, should just be a reminder for everybody. Hebrews 5 and 5 says, therefore leaving the discussion of the elementary, actually this is the beginning of 6, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to, say with me loud and proud, maturity. maturity. That's where we're headed. To maturity, not laying again the foundations, these are elementary things, of repentance from dead works, faith toward God, instruction about baptisms, and here we are at the laying on of hands. That's what we're talking about tonight. This is a basic elementary skill. And it starts with a discussion about authority. Because what the laying on of hands is, is an administration of authority, of spiritual kingdom authority. But you and I don't really understand what authority means, because we've been raised in a perverted society. So I want to talk about authority a little bit. <coughs> okay, point one on your sheet is that faithfulness brings about authority. I wonder if that's, that's a very dated picture. I know it's part of my generation <laughs> regarding authority. Um, but the, the first thing is that faithfulness brings it about. Uh, okay, Matthew 25, 23. Here's what it says. I'll, I'll also remind you this before I read this great verse. You have an assignment tonight during the lecture, which is to choose a memory verse. Or yourself. So somewhere, maybe on the back of that sheet somewhere, I want you to jot the memory verse that you're going to grab and stick in your heart on this topic of the laying on of hands. It might be the following verse because it's such a winner. That's why that's why it triggered in my brain. Because I wish all of you knew this verse. It's Matthew 25, 23. And it's when the master says to the servant, well done, you have been faithful in a very small thing, and I will put you in charge of much. Did you hear that? You have been faithful in a small thing, and I will put you in charge of much. If you want to get much, what should you look for? Start with little. You have to have little. And what should you do if, if you have been given little? Be faithful in a little. Um, when people ask me, I want more discipline in my life. How do you think I could have discipline in my life? I say, well, is your bed made right now? No, my room's a wreck. Okay, make your bed every day. Be faithful in a very small thing. I want to be a leader of people. Okay, great. There's a, a seventh grade boys group somewhere around here. And they would love somebody to lead them. What do you think? Oh, no, no, I was thinking of something like kind of more awesome than that. 
Okay, well, you're not thinking of the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God starts out with a very small thing plus faithfulness equals large thing in the kingdom. Very small thing. So faithfulness brings it about. I want you to know that. That in the kingdom of God, faithfulness brings about authority. Did I say giftedness? Did I say anointing? Does the laying on of hands give someone authority? Not according to our first point. What brings it about, everyone? I blew your mind with that question. No, the laying on of hands does not give someone spiritual authority. Faithfulness. God is looking for faithfulness. It gives me goosebumps. He's really good at finding it. Something else about authority, we need to be ready to handle it because it is coming our way. How do we know that it's coming our way? Well, John 14, 12, for starters, Jesus said, everything that I've done, whoever believes in me, they'll do those things too. Did Jesus walk around with spiritual authority? Are you going to walk around in spiritual authority when you get mature? I didn't hear you. Yes. Well, then you better get familiar with it. You are going to have an AK-47 issued to you. You need to know how to run that thing and how to use it. That's what we're talking about. How do you use this weapon called spiritual authority? What is it exactly? It's coming your way. I want you to understand that. Spiritual authority is in the cards for you. It's part of God's plan for you. So I want you to be very familiar with it. We need to be able to recognize it and it doesn't look like what we thought, by the way. It doesn't follow that because I'm the guy standing on stage who's fighting a microphone on his ear with the bright lights on him, that I have all the spiritual authority in the room or I have the most spiritual authority in the room. That does not follow. It means that I have the most organizational authority in the room. Is that the same thing as spiritual authority? Say it loud and proud if you've ever had a bad boss. It is not the same thing. So if somebody holds a high position in a Christian organization, is that person walking around necessarily with spiritual authority? No. They have been given a position by men to lead an organization. Now the kingdom of God is an organization. It's just an invisible one. And we need to be able to recognize spiritual authority, which I don't think we're very good at. So that we can submit. That's what you want. When you find, hey, here we go. <clears throat> Be able to recognize it so that we can submit. If you see spiritual authority, what you're seeing is a blinking light because there's a blessing here. Ding, 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 ding. If anybody wants it. If you don't want it, then you can just debate with them all day long and go, oh, I'm not sure I like this person or whatever. 
But if you see spiritual authority, what you should do is submit to it. Because there's a blessing waiting for you there if you will do so. I want you to get all the blessing. And so we need to be able to recognize it. So we can go get under it and get all the blessings there. Now I'm going to read this, uh, this Matthew 8 passage that's referenced on um, point 4. <clears throat> Here it goes. Matthew 8, starting in verse 8. <clears throat> you might have heard this um, story before. This is a Roman centurion. Romans are Gentiles. They're not who Jesus came for. There's a Roman centurion who comes to Jesus and he asks him to heal his servant. And Jesus says, uh, yeah, well, he starts the discussion with him and here's what the centurion says. Matthew 8. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but say the word and my servant will be healed. He said, I know that if you just say it, it'll happen. How does he know that? Verse 9. Because I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. That's a really weird thing to say to Jesus. But what he says is, I understand how org charts work. He says, I know that if you tell this sickness to go, it will go. And you don't even have to come to my house. Because I know how org charts work. Because I, I submit to my superiors and there are people that also do what I say. I've got people above me and people below me. I tell this one go and he goes and I tell that one come and he comes. I say to my servants do this and he does it. Now this is crazy. Verse 10 says when Jesus heard this. He was amazed. He was dumbfounded at this guy's understanding. And the people around him, if I can project on them, they might have thought things like, well, if we can get good and religious and follow the law a little bit better and, and hold our tongues just right, maybe Jesus will hear us and he'll do what we want him to do and heal people. Or some people thought, let's work ourselves into a very spiritual trance and just try to turn the worship music up a little louder or whatever. And this guy said, you can heal my servant because I understand how org charts work. And Jesus said, I'm amazed at this guy. Who is this guy? Says Jesus. He says, to, he turned to those following him, all of his disciples. And whenever the camera turns to the disciples, I hear the music go, do, 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 do. These guys are going, hey, what, what's going on? What's up? And they're sitting here like this. And Jesus turns to his Dumb, dumb group of followers. And he says, guys, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith as this man. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom, those down the org chart, will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He gives them a little teaching about what the kingdom of God is like. I'm sure they went, uh, uh. And then Jesus said to the centurion, he turned back to this guy, and he said, go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And the servant was healed at that moment. Jesus is impressed. Let's just say this about that story. Jesus is impressed when someone understands spiritual authority. 
They're not common people who understand spiritual authority. They're not common. Which is point four. A working knowledge of it impresses Jesus. I want to impress him. <laughs> I want to be one of those people that I can say, Lord, heal my daughter. I know that you can say with just a word, but I understand how authority works. I understand how the order chart works. And I understand who is subject to you. And Lord, heal my daughter. I also know that the Lord wants me on that org chart in such a way that there are beings below me and there are beings above me. But you don't get, I'm getting ahead of myself here, you won't get anybody below you if you are not first active in submitting yourself. I'm getting ahead of myself. Imagine the Insanity of giving authority to someone who doesn't know how to submit to authority. That is a recipe for disaster and broken lives and cults. Number five, authority does not come by, touched on this earlier, does not come by gifts or charisma or titles. So if you see somebody with a gift of healing and they heal somebody, it's very easy, friends, for us to go, here is someone with spiritual authority because we can see their gifts. But those gifts were in them as an infant. Those gifts don't mean that they have authority. Do you understand what I'm saying? God is so generous that it looks like he's willy-nilly with the gifts he throws around. You know, everybody who's ever, right down to Hitler, everybody who's ever truly hurt people has perverted a gift that God gave them in order to do it. Hitler had unbelievable leadership gifts that got stuck in that guy. And I'm sure he was an evangelist. I'm sure he had evangelism in him. They're just perverted gifts. Wouldn't God be, wouldn't God be within his rights to go, anybody that misuses my gift, you don't get that gift anymore. He doesn't do that. He goes, I'm giving it to you. Now, if you understand that, then that helps you to not be fooled when you see strong gifts in somebody. That doesn't mean giftedness. Where's the faithfulness? Show me the faithfulness. Show me the fruit. I want to see the fruit. By the way, this is how worldly authority comes about by these things. Gifts, charisma, and titles. How do you know that I have authority? Well, I have those things. Be in. I made a lot of money. I got a, I'm working my way up the org chart. What do you want? That's, that's the only credentials I need. Not the kingdom. If you have a rev period in front of your name, you know what that means to me? Squadoosh. <laughs> Now, I'm not saying that, there's a, that, that, that these things are mutually exclusive, but I want you to be able to see through titles and positions and through 
um, where somebody is in the org chart and ask the question, does this person have authority or not? Do you think that it is conceivable that let's say we don't know the person of Brian's home, we don't know him as a man. Do you think it's conceivable that somebody could have such strong gifts that they could pervertedly use the scriptures to create an organization that would have tens of thousands of people in it? Do you think that's possible? Or do you think that that is a very clear sign that God's anointing is on Brian's home? You better ask that question. You might have heard this passage before. I'm going to start in verse 3 of Philippians 2. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, grasped but he emptied himself taking the form of a servant, dot, dot, dot. Verse nine, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Jesus did not come with any title connected to him. He was not in charge of any organization. And if you looked at him, you'd think you are an outsider in every way. That's exactly the way they treated him. You have no authority. But actually, he walked in all authority. Or can we recognize authority when it walks in the room? I pray that for you. That you could come across some dude you never heard of, who lives across town or passing through. You have a conversation with them and you go, this person has authority. I want to recognize it and submit to it. Okay, it's earmarks. Let's say it's earmarks are fruit and faithfulness, as we've already said. <clears throat> There's a lot of verses about fruit I could throw out at you, but I just want to mention Second uh, Corinthians three. Paul says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? By the way, you don't ever trust somebody's testimony about themselves. Jesus wouldn't do that. He never listened to a man talk about himself. Because he doesn't trust men. That's what it said. He knows what's in the heart of a man. He doesn't trust it. And Paul said, boy, am I, am I to the place where all I can do is commend myself? Or do we need, like some people, letters of rec recommendation? And here's what Paul says. No, you yourselves are our letter. If I need a letter of recommendation, it's going to come from the people in my life who I've borne fruit in. Who I could point to. I could you know, go to those people, go talk to those people, and they could say, no, this, this family is the real deal. What I've received from that family is the real deal. Um, Verse 3 says, you show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Fruit. Want to see the fruit. And the last point is, it is given, authority is given, not so that you can parade and crow and get a book deal. It's given so that you can serve more and better. 
I'll just read these verses that are referenced, these 2 Corinthians verses. 2 Corinthians 10.8 says, So even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than tearing you down, I will not be ashamed of it. Paul says the Lord has given us authority. And the reason that he gave it to us is to build you up and to serve you. He says three chapters later, this is why I write these things when I'm absent, that when I come, I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority. The authority the Lord gave me for building you up. He knows that his authority is not to make a name for himself. It's to be a servant. Which takes us to kinds of service. But I want to read Ephesians 4. Talking about these fivefold ministers. It was Christ who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become... Yes. Mature. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This is an amazing passage. But one thing that that last phrase means is that when we come into total unity and full maturity, we will be the exact replica of Jesus in the earth. Minus nothing. Is that what it says? The whole measure of the fullness of Christ. All of his gifts. All of his love. All of his power. All of his obedience, all of his callings, those will be executed in the church in obedience. Now, according to that passage, these fivefold gifts are necessary, not so that they can preen and prance, but so that they can help serve and build up the church. Now, some combination of these gifts lives in you. And I'll give you a free uh, tip if you want some extra work. I'll give you some extra work. Um, there is a website called fivefoldsurvey.com. Can anybody check me on that? Is that what it's called? Okay, fivefold survey. Really simple little test. It's not the best way to find out what your gifts are, but it could be an indicator that might help you. Find out where do I, where are my natural inclinations on these Fivefold gifts. Just a place to go. Okay, two two types of service. One is service by feeding. Service by feeding. <clears throat> it's just giving people the stuff that they need, giving people the word of God, giving them his encouragement, giving them his love. And another is service by example. Matthew 20, 25. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. By the way, everyone, you know that the rulers of P&G rule it over them. What I mean is, you know, on the org charts of the world, if you're high on the org chart, you tell everybody what to do. That's what it means by lording it over them. You tell them what to do. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. If you have a paper Bible, 
Underline, not so with you. Instead, in this kingdom that Jesus ushers in, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now let me ask a question from this passage. Now, take it slow before you blur out your answer and then look at the scripture. Does the Lord want you to be great? Does he want you to be an insignificant nothing or does he want you to be great? He wants you to be great. But greatness in the kingdom doesn't look like greatness in the world. It looks precisely the opposite. In the world, as the handy dandy chart shows you, when you are on top of the org chart of the world, which you get by personality, fear, and titles. You have the right to tell people what to do. In the kingdom of God, authority isn't uh, garnered by going up the chain. It's garnered by going down, lower in the orb chart. And that comes by humility, service, and faithfulness. That's what Jesus was saying. Whoever wants to be great in the kingdom must become your servant. And the greatest in the kingdom will be the slave of everyone. Does that sound like an upside down org chart to you? What are you, crazy? All right, let me give you this definition. I know blue guy, sorry. But the definition is the given right to execute that for which you are responsible. That's one of the, that's one of the bullet points about authority is there is no such thing as authority without responsibility. They are connected to one another. If you'd like a recipe for frustration, have someone give you a job where you have a bunch of responsibility but no authority. What a delight that is. Okay, well, I see the need here. I want this to be great, so I'm just going to make X and Y change. Ah, you really have to pass it by seven committees before you make that change. Well, aren't I responsible to make this thing work? You are responsible, yes. Okay, well, I'm trying to make it work. Okay, well, you don't really have that authority. Okay. Um, do you have a drill that I could put into my temple right now? But in the kingdom, authority and responsibility go hand in hand. So, you can think of it this way when we talk about being um, faithful to a very small thing and you put turn to a lunch. If you would like authority, go seek some responsibility. Lord, give me a little bit of responsibility. What can I take care of? And you might say, you're in charge of this nasty block downtown where all the drunks pee 
and everybody throws their beer bottles. Well, I was, I was thinking of something cooler than that. <laughs> the Lord would say, just make sure that block is clean and pray over the block. That all the drunks who come urinate here would feel my spirit and presence when they come onto this block. I'm just telling you, if the Lord gives you an assignment like that, oh, baby, you're up for a promotion. Just be faithful. Be faithful in a very small thing. And usually where the Lord will start you out is that he'll put you in charge of something that nobody else will see and nobody's going to give you pats in the back for And he'll say, this one's just for me. Just for me. See those, see the flowers between your front door and the sidewalk? I want those water. I want those flowers thriving. That's not a very cool job. Just do it for me. I want to see some faithfulness in you. I want to put you in charge of much, but I can't trust you as much. Not my precious sheep. I just need to see some faithfulness in you first. And all of us, I haven't done much confession yet in this, uh, in this lecture, but all of us, all of us are the kinds of people who would say, Lord, I can be trusted. Trust me. I'm pretty special. You know the gifts. Me, it's me and you, God. You know the gifts I've got. They are wonderful. You know that speech I gave in that class that time? It was so cool. I mean, I, that kind of thing. That's, that's me. We're talking to me here now. I think you can give me a little bit extra on the side. Just give me a little. He's like, I love you, but I'm going to treat you like my son, which is I'm going to require faithfulness from you. Remember when my son knew who he was when he was at age 12? Remember that? He knew he was the savior of the whole world. And remember I didn't give him a public ministry for 18 years. And I just wanted him to prove faithfulness to me. Not to an org chart. And at the end of that 18 years, what did the father say? He pointed at him from heaven with that dove landing on him. He pointed at him and he said, here's your savior in the world. There's the guy. Here's the guy. And he said, I'm so proud of him. And I always looked at that passage with question marks shooting out of my head. Proud of him? For what? He had people dying and going to hell all around him. What did he ever do? The Lord goes, he, he was faithful to me. He did what I wanted him to do. He's listening to my voice. I'm going to be fascinated to see when we cross over into heaven. I want to know what happened during those years. I want, I want the role video spirit. Let's see. I want to see Jesus' life during those dark years when the Lord hid him up to himself. By the way, he did that with Paul for three years. He did that with David. He did that with Abraham. He did that with Moses. He hid these guys up to himself. And he said, I'm going to develop a new faithfulness, which usually comes from suffering. Oh, shoot. No, don't, don't tell me why I said that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Gosh, isn't this great? I love this. <clears throat> In the world, 
I want to get out of the realm of the commoner and become great, and that's my ambition. So by hook or by crook, defeating people, using all of my wiles, whatever I got to do, I'm going to get up there. In the kingdom, I want to get underneath the commoner so that I can serve even more people. And the kingdom of God is weird as I consider this. When you enter the kingdom, you're at the top of the ladder. Everybody should be serving you when you first get into the kingdom because everybody else is a better servant than you are. And all the other believers, they're just there to serve you. And as you get, as you humble yourself and get lower and lower, you're going to serve more and better. What's our ambition? In the kingdom of God, my ambition is to go lower and to go deeper. That's where the greatness is. And that's where the intimacy is with my king who happened to have done this exact process. And the Bible says of him that he is the chief cornerstone is his name. Not the capstone where he gets to spike the football and do the dance for the touchdown. He's the chief cornerstone. Is that the bottom of the building? It's the bottom. He's the cornerstone at the bottom. So that's the thing. I mean, that's one thing. You won't make it to the bottom of the pyramid, by the way, if that spot is taken. The greatest servant of all servants is the Lord. But between here and eternity, make your way down. If the Lord gives you an opportunity to humble yourself, great. As we already know about humbling yourself, it'll build your faith too. Ain't that right? Yeah. The laying on of hands is a mechanism for conferring authority in the kingdom of God. It is the graduation ceremony for moving down in the kingdom. Isn't that exciting? I want to move down. I want somebody to lay hands on me. The Old Testament picture of this was anointing. You can see all sorts of examples of this in the Old Testament and even a couple in the New Testament. But it has the same effect as the laying on of hands. Anointing someone with oil, it confers upon them. Now think of Samuel when he found David. And the Lord said, this is my chosen to lead my people. What Samuel did was he was simply recognizing what God had said about David. And so he poured oil on him to confer on to David and anybody that was watching, this is the Lord's chosen instrument. There wasn't anything magical in that oil. And the oil was not, the, the pouring of the oil was not the same thing as David's calling. The calling existed. The pouring of the oil made it a public, understood thing. In the Old Testament, the reason that you would lay hands was to transfer the sins on an animal to be sacrificed. And that that happened all the time. Every time you gave a sacrifice, you'd lay hands on it, and you'd say, this animal is hereby set apart for the Lord's purposes, and it'll never do anything else because it's being given over to the Lord's purposes. That is exactly what anointing is and exactly what laying on of hands is. To set something apart for the Lord's purposes. So if if we confer authority and we set things apart by the laying on of hands, then the next time you see a girl who's engaged to be married and she's about to get married, it'd be totally appropriate to lay hands on her 
and say, you're about to be given authority in something you have not had authority in before. It's going to be a step down for you, and you're about to become a wife, and we want to confer upon you this is a holy thing. You're about to graduate, and you're going to become a wife. Hallelujah. This is you know, it's a big deal in the kingdom. Or you're about to become a mother for the first time. Let's lay hands on this girl. She's about to become a mother. That's a place of service, and it's a place of authority in the kingdom, and you're about to take a step down. This is very good. There are five reasons to lay hands on people. One, in praying for people. Again, we're saying, God, you know, you, you want me to pray for Susie and she's got a problem with what's happened in her life. I set apart Susie to you right now, Lord, that you would touch the area of her life that she's asking for prayer for. I'm setting her apart for your purposes here. Number two, for healing. Again, we're setting apart for God's purposes here. Three, to minister the Holy Spirit. Those could all, I mean, we could put two and three under one. They're all praying. But we're setting apart for God's purposes. Now, four and five, which is the execution of what I just established. I want to just look at two case studies real quick in the scriptures. In Acts 13, verse 1, it says, it, it talks about prophets and teachers, and it includes Saul in that list. So he's either a prophet or a teacher in Acts 13, 1. Why is that confusing, Chrissy? Okay, not confusing. Okay. Um, in Acts 14, 14, Paul is referred to as an apostle. So my question is, what happened between Acts 13, 1 and Acts 14, 14? Paul was either a, a prophet or a teacher, and now you're telling me one chapter later that he's an apostle? Well, hold on a second. I mean, what happened? Well, the answer is in chapter 13, verse 2, It says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost departed unto Seleucia. He'd been functioning as a prophet or a teacher, but he got a new assignment. And they conferred on him the authority to operate in that new assignment by laying hands on him. And they obviously said, this is an apostolic job that you've been given. We're sending you out. The, I can um, lay my hands on Christine, and if I feel the Holy Ghost telling me to confer, or confer a gift of something that I don't have, I can do it. Absolutely. First Timothy 4.14 says that's a prophetic message. <sighs> Case two, just act like you didn't hear that. In case two, in Acts 16, Timothy is called a disciple. He's a regular old run-of-the-mill disciple. He got born again. He's somebody's. He's under somebody's tutelage. 
and he's getting he's getting some help. All right, Timothy. In 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 1, it's established that the writers of 1 Thessalonians are Paul, Silas, and Timothy. They're all together, they're on a trip together, and they write this letter together. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 6, it says, as apostles, we could have been a burden to you. So Timothy's now an apostle, huh? Paul's sitting there with him, and whoever actually put pen to paper... Paul gave approval of that being written. So we're, we're apostles. Okay, so what happened to him between Acts 16 and 1 Thessalonians 2? He was just a guy, and now he's an apostle? Wait, Timothy's now an apostle? What happened? Well, the answer is, in 1 Timothy 4.14, and in 2 Timothy 1.6, you, you, you can connect the dots and see that both the elders and Paul laid hands on him. It, those, both those verses say that. He got confirmed and commissioned to go execute in authority this job, which was an apostolic job. And they laid hands on him, and they sent him out. The point of both of those cases is that something was recognized or discerned prophetically. There was a laying on of hands to activate or send them and their job and their title I mean, their identity in some ways changed that day. Okay. So here's four and five based on those case studies. The number four reason you'd lay hands on somebody is to confirm gifts and callings. And then number five, to commission people. That is, send them out. Um, I remember this happening to me um, on, on a couple of occasions, one which was the most formal, and I don't know that I'd seen anything in the organization that better fit, actually, what God was doing. Um, but before I went with the Baptists to go to England, they had a commissioning service. And what they did was they wanted people around my life, friends and family, who had observed me over the years. And the question put to them was, do you think that God has called this guy to go make disciples overseas? Really legitimate question. Yeah. And the people around my life who had seen me for years all went, yes, we do think this is what God's doing in this guy. All right, then let's all go up to front. This guy's going to kneel. We're all going to lay hands on him, and it's going to be officially established that this guy is sent, and he's being sent by his friends and family. And I remember that, and I just remember going, this is really like a holy thing. I can't believe the Baptists are doing this. <laughs> it just felt really legitimate. That was a judgment. Right? Uh, no, 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 no. <clears throat> it was a joke. A sort of. It was very legitimizing, and I remember going overseas, and if people recognized authority in me or not, or say, you don't belong here, what are you doing? It just didn't ruffle me. I just thought, the people that know me best say that I'm called to do this, and I am. And it's real. And so, hang it. You know, whatever you people yeah, think. I wonder what we could save by doing that when we're sending people that... You what if people came around and went, you shouldn't send them? 
Hallelujah. We, we, might save, we might save some heartache and pain in the work we do if we didn't go. I don't think so. I don't think we should. Let's go. Let's, let's roll right on into notes. <clears throat> the laying on of hands, or loa, <clears throat> doesn't change anybody. The fruit should already be there. So all we're doing is going, we see the pattern here. And we are, and we are underlying, we're, we're underlining the fact that here's what we see. It's authorizing somebody in the gifts that we already are seeing in them. Yes. Okay. B, see someone bearing good fruit? Loa. <laughs> lay on, lay on hands on them and go, what's God doing here? D, gifted, but not skilled. Do not lay hands on them. First Timothy 5, 22 says, Lay hands hastily on no man, neither be partakers of other men's sins. So you just spend time equipping them then until you start seeing the fruit manifested? When you see a giftedness, it's really good and helpful to people to call out those gifts and to go, I see a gift in you, and I want you to understand God has purposes for this gift that I see in you. And I want to help you bring those to life. You know, maybe you're not going to be in their life. But I just want you to know I see that thing and I want you to care for that gift because I know that God has purposes in it and he wants to mature that thing in you. You know how many people we have serving in critical places just in this organization who have never had anybody send them to do that thing? Sad. And we need to go, we as a body recognize, dang it, you're called to do this. Whether you're part of this organization or not, do it for the rest of your life because this thing is in you. We're underdoing number We're underdoing it. But if we'll start doing it correctly, we'll be able to sniff out when it's false. Leaders keep watch over souls. I just just want to establish that from Hebrews 13. It says that your leaders keep watch over your soul. You are to look and ask the Spirit for the gifts and callings of your sheep. A lot of times that will be found in their souls, okay? And the soul is the place where their mind, will, and emotions are. It's the battleground for them. If you spend a time with a teenager, and they, they're a person who, they're taking on all the problems of the world, and they're running around half-baked, and they, um, they're overextending themselves, and they're, they're trying to be responsible for everything, there's probably a shepherding gift in them. It's just being misused. They don't understand it. Okay, so you go... Okay, I want to keep watch over your soul because I'm interested in your gifts and your callings. And secondly, look to affirm what God's doing and fan it into flame. Leaders, keep watch over souls. This is a necessary, elementary, foundational teaching if you want to operate in the kingdom of God. How do you recognize authority and how do we commend authority? And this is how it works.